Welcome back to the show. We are talking to Jared Porsonalik today about DevOps and IoT or Internet of Things. So if you ever looked at like people doing cool stuff with Raspberry Pis or their home thermostat uh, and beyond, <laughs> uh, that's kind of the lame stuff. Um, honestly, like turning light bulbs on and off. Jared has, has done some really, really cool stuff with that. So kind of expand your horizons there. But then also talk about DevOps, which uh, Jared is a master at. So uh, yeah. Hope you guys enjoy that. If you want to support us, go to our website, uh, read the show notes, subscribe to the newsletter, tweet us at Tech Junior Podcast, do all the stuff. We appreciate it. And uh, yeah, <clears throat> thanks again so, so much for listening. And here we go. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Work Junior. I'm a full stack JavaScript developer. Have with me as always, Eddie. Hey, I'm Eddie. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, a front end developer. <laughs> and um, today we've got Jared Porcenaluk. Did I say that correctly? Um, I'm sure. No, it's Por- it's Porcenaluk, <laughs> but Por- oh. my wife says I pronounce it differently than my brother. So yeah, whatever. It's fine. I've heard it every single way. Jared P. Cool. So uh, Jared is a. Um, developer obviously uh works with uh, iot devops uh, just kind of an extraordinaire uh with what c sharp and beyond right yeah yeah doing a lot of node stuff with typescript to these days uh some mm-hmm. angular stuff in the front end i've been doing that for a while but doing more of it these days fantastic so um yeah if you could introduce yourself and kind of tell us uh, a little bit of your your story we can hear that and then jump into uh, some of the other fun stuff sure um so i'm Jared, and I do software development. Uh, you guys have had a lot of people on your show that do a lot of software development, and I don't know what to say that would differentiate me from anybody else, but <laughs> I've had a, a, about 10 years doing this, and people say, you know, have you had one year 10 times, or have you had 10 years of different experiences? And I could say that I've had a lot of different experiences. It's been a, a really fun ride doing software development. And uh, I don't see, for me, that ride ending anytime soon. Um, Every time I solve one thing, there's always another thing to figure out. And that's one part about it that I really, really love and keeps me coming back. You know, it's like a video game that the levels never end. So, (laughs) yeah. Cool. So uh, I feel like you undersold that a little. So let me be your hype man and say that we're really excited to have you on the show uh, for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, you're a, uh, a big DevOps advocate. Um, so we're, we're excited to talk about that a little bit. Uh, but also you're the, um, one of the organizers of the IOT meetup here in Orlando and have done a lot of really cool projects. So, uh, maybe the most famous one or the most well-known around here is that you worked on, um, an IOT project with a GMC Bronco, right? Or, or is it a Ford uh, Bronco? I forgot. It's a Ford Bronco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. so I, that, that, that's fun. I also, I also have, I'll be my own hype man for a second. Uh, there you go. I think my most like broadly used project is a fun one because it's in a Smithsonian museum. There's a interactive uh, game and it was built for windows used WPF uh, kind of like an outdated technology now, but when I was using it, it was, you know, in vogue and uh it's a matching game and 
like these pictures would all roll out on onto the screen. And at the time, like I was just learning how to do programming in general. And so just having to like randomize how these pictures show up on the screen was so, so fun of a project for me. And then being able to see it in a museum and know that uh, unlike things on the internet, like it's kind of locked down there and it's going to be there for like 10 years. So uh, that was a fun project. And that's, that's probably cool. the one that most people know in general, but yeah, the one that pe most people know around here, you know, would be the, probably the Bronco project. Yeah. hundred percent. So um, since we're kind of already on that, why don't we uh, jump into IOT a little bit? Um, I, I take it. It means internet of things. If, if I haven't read that incorrectly, but um, like what, what does IOT really mean and what kind of languages can you do with it? Or, you know, what kind of projects, um, I have a feeling that a lot of people look at IOT and they go, oh, well, you mean like you take a Raspberry Pi and plug it into stuff or, you know, it kind of stops there for a lot of people. So if you can maybe elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Internet of Things, you got that right. And it's basically the concept that all the stuff around us that right now is quote unquote dumb, that has no computing ability will start to be digitized and start to have some computing ability and start to connect with each other and communicate over networks. And by doing that, um, kind of like the network effect with people where the more people are added to a network, the more value it has, we'll have a network effect with things like the more stuff that's added to a network, the more value it has. And I've got started being really interested in this concept in like 2014 or so. And, um, when I moved to Orlando, I was looking for other like-minded people. I should say moved back to Orlando because I graduated from UCF and moved away and came back. But I was looking for like-minded people. And so I found this Orlando IoT meetup group and I asked the organizer like, hey, is any, are you planning anything new? And he was like, no, um, but you can. And so that's how I got started <laughs> with that. Because um, I, I just wanted to be a participant. I just wanted to see what's going on. And um, you know, ever since then, I've, I've realized there's it's such a complex and mixed world because there's so many positives and so many negatives to this concept. And like, I think that we have as technologists, a responsibility to use what we have available to us to make the world a better place. And IOT is a is another tool in our sandbox of ideas. And for me, going beyond the screen is like the ultimate end goal. Like everybody walking around looking at their phone or everybody sitting in a, at a desk and looking at their computer, like that is, can only take us so far. Like that, there is a use case for those mediums, but I don't think that that's the end goal of humans. Like we, are so good at connecting with other people in in around the campfire, you know, and I don't think the phone being the medium in between us doing that is necessarily the best like solution. So I think as we go forward and as we like start to realize the limits of our screens and like move beyond them and, and think about how we interact with the world, like if all of our things are able to connect over the internet to each other, I think it'll enable a lot of experiences that we're just barely tasting right now. And if we do it right, if we do it in a way that's equitable, if we do it in a way that 
um, actually benefits people and, and doesn't just benefit, you know, money in the pockets of people in the power in power, um, then I think we're going to, we're going to have a pretty freaking cool experience living. Yeah. Um, so like, what are some common projects that people would maybe get started with if they were going to maybe try out like to do some IOT projects? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the easiest thing I think you could do is buy like a particle photon. Um, and that's just one brand name of a subset what? of things. Uh, it's, okay. it's one brand name, brand it name. Sounds of like subset something of out of Star Trek. Oh, so you haven't heard of the particle photon. That's no, cool. I have cool. not. It's cool. I know what those uh, things are in general. So but... Particle. I thought you were going to say like an Arduino or something like that. But, well, uh, you know, you know, I, Maybe. That I've heard of. You know, Arduino is great because it has a lot of documentation, and I think they've been becoming easier to use. But I think Arduino, their um, their weak point is actually IoT. So you, if you're asking about how you uh, get into IoT, um, you're talking about the internet and how do you control things or or see things going through the internet. And I think Arduino, in general, has historically been a very locally based, like small computing platform and i think they're they're starting sense. to add capabilities to talk over wi-fi and what stuff like that but when you start talking over the internet there's a lot of layers and what particle the company does is they make these little devices uh, many different kinds the photon has a wi-fi chip on it and you can upload code from the cloud to it and communicate back and forth between it. And that's kind of like the all-in-one platform they have. And so it's a really like soft edged, you know, rounded off edge way of getting into writing code for these smaller devices and also communicating to the cloud and back. And it's not, um, and you can go as far as you want with that. Like they are happy. They want you to use that and develop products and use their platform and pay for it. But it even if, if you do great if you don't that's a good way to just get started with like how do i turn a light bulb from the internet or how do i rip, measure temperature locally and then upload that temperature to you know my function in azure or whatever um so those are the type of things you would do with something like that yeah yeah exactly okay. and that's like the very 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 beginning of a wide open world of what you can do with things when you can start controlling them over the internet like um so what is that thing is it like a little computer or <clears throat> does it have like yeah. is it just a board and you have to hook it up to something does it have like temperature sensors built into it like how does how does that work um it is just a board but it has uh so the particle photon itself is a board and on the board comes a embedded operating system and the embedded operating system is pre-built to easily connect to the particle backend which particle runs on their servers and so you as a user basically you buy the thing you bring it home you plug it in you download their app on your phone you connect it to your wi-fi through their app so it's all like a consumer device up until that point and then when you connect it to your wi-fi you log into your account on Particle, which again, it's all like, if you can create a Google account, you can create a Particle account. And once you log in, then you basically 
get your device ID for your phone or whatever and put it in there, and then you can start sending code that you write down to your device. And then when you start sending code you write down to your device, you can start following tutorials and, and figuring out, like, how do I uh, do things with this device? And the device has um, headers, so they have, like, little pins coming out of it, and the pins are able to send or receive electricity, and those the electricity it sends or receives can control or, um, you know, take in input from external things. It's I.O. You know, it's like your mouse or keyboard, except it's very generalized and you can do whatever you want with it. Uh, and <clears throat> so what you can do is you can take those pins and basically hook them up to an LED light or whatever, and then from the cloud upload code that will turn that LED light on or off. And you can do all that stuff with an Arduino locally in your computer, but then it's a whole other bridge to get to it to connect to the cloud in general. And out of the box, Particle connects you to the cloud. And then you can start uh, plugging into like if this and that and stuff like that a little fairly easily. And it's not the be all end all. There's a million ways to get into IoT. Arduino is a perfectly acceptable option. And especially because Arduinos are, uh, they open source their um, hardware designs. So you can get really, really cheap versions of them that people make that are, you know, they're not knockoffs because they're, they're actually allowed to make them, but they're clones of Arduino boards. You just go on eBay or whatever people use, Amazon, <laughs> type in Arduino and, and you'll come up with a bunch of options. And that's a great, uh, you know, Arduinos, even though it's not over the internet, is a great way to get into like physical computing where you're controlling or, or, or getting inputs from things in the physical world other than a screen, a keyboard, a mouse, a typical I.O. you'd see on a typical, you know, application developer's laptop. Cool. Um, yeah, I think that's like in my mind kind of where it starts to fall apart. Like I understand that you're getting some kind of controller that's a physical device that you're running code on, but then like hooking other electronics up to that is kind of where it, it starts to lose me. Like, well, I don't know anything about that. How do I hook up like a light bulb or my thermostat or whatever? So, um, yeah. currently you, you work with, um, uh, Archer first response systems, right? Correct. Yes. So you guys, like I've seen on LinkedIn, you have this project where you're like programming drones to deliver AEDs to uh, people that have some kind of emergency, right? Yes, that's exactly right. So that's really awesome. And uh, people probably hear that and go like, wow, how does that even work? Um, so how did you go from, you know, just regular old Joe Schmo developer like Eddie and I to <laughs> getting into IOT and then like working on this crazy project? Like what did you do when you got into IOT? What was, how did you get hooked on it? Um, so I met Gordon who runs Archer first response systems, uh, through a hackathon. And that was like two years before he asked me to join and then I asked Spencer, who's the um, uh, CTO at a separate event in downtown Orlando, one of the tech and beer events. And that's also tech and beer is something that Gordon was involved with. And we did, you know, none of us had an agenda when we met each other other than get to know cool tech people in the community. And, you know, Gordon was, is not technical um, from a, coding perspective but he is technical from a drone perspective 
And he's been working on this idea for six years. And in the past, like two years, it's really ramped up. And he got, you know, Spencer to get involved. Um, they met each other through Tech and Beer, I think. And Spencer is technical and he started writing, you know, code around this and for about two years on his own time. And they got funding and looped me in. And I was very skeptical at first because it sounds really off the wall. Like, is this even possible? Like, where, <laughs> you know, it's very futuristic um, and it doesn't sound super feasible, I think, to people who are skeptical. And I'm a skeptical person. So uh, it took some convincing. But once uh, the whole system was explained to me, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this could be done. Uh, I got to get involved. I definitely need to do this, even if it's risky. And so I did. And so I think like the advice I'd have is just keep doing what you love and um, don't be shy about it. Go and meet other people who do things similar to what you love and eventually things will lock into place. So since you kind of went into uh, the AED system that you guys are working on, I'll lay some groundwork for that. Um, for anybody that's not familiar with an AED out there or kind of what this thing is trying to achieve, um, I used to work as a, a fireman and a first responder and all that good stuff. And an AED oh, wow. is an automated um, defibrillator. So somebody goes into cardiac oh, arrest, okay. their heart stops. Thanks. Yeah, Eddie didn't know. So. Yeah, I had no <laughs> so idea. I thought this usually, was like an if you ever take CPR, okay, okay. It, it's going to go like check for breathing and circulation, turn to somebody and say, go get the AED. And then somebody oh. in your scenario is supposed to run off and go grab an AED wherever that thing lives. So what Jared is working on is a system where instead of sending somebody that's there helping you with the patient to go grab this device, wherever it lives, like down the block in another room, who knows where nobody probably, it's like, think about fire extinguishers in your office. Do you know where your fire extinguishers are? Probably not. And no. furthermore, do you know where the AED is? Probably not. So uh, what Jared is working on is a system where you don't have to know. You just, you know, maybe you are connected to your phone or something. You press a button. No, and it goes, it's, uh, it's easier than that. So, you know, you call 911 like you normally would if you see somebody who's in need of help. And then they walk through, you know, what, what your issue is. And if they think it's cardiac arrest, they send the drone. That's basically it. And uh, so even better. Yeah, wow. we're we're not trying to circumvent how people normally react to a situation. There's no way we're going to reteach people how to do that like everybody knows scott 911 so we'll take advantage of that that's kind of yeah, so, crazy that's like right? blade runner kind of stuff exactly so just yeah. instead of like something stupid like amazon delivering your you know bars <laughs> of soap or whatever they're gonna like oh my god i have an emergency i'm in toilet paper you know right I'm, I'm half a mile into the woods you know help you know that uh yeah. dispatch can hook into your phone signal and somebody can like activate this system to go fly a drone out to you with an AED and you can hook it up to the patient. Um, cause otherwise I hate to tell you, but as a first responder, I've sat on scene waiting for help, like doing CPR for quite a while. <laughs> so, um, getting that AED there faster, uh, is, is going to save lives and, um, just yeah. make, make a huge difference. So the faster you can <clears throat> deliver that treatment, the better you, you only have minutes whenever the heart has stopped. So, yeah. Uh, it's pretty That's exciting cool. whenever I, I think about that. Yeah, it's one of those things where I think we've become numb to how many people 
have cardiac arrest and we accept it as a, you know, thing that's going to happen. And, you know, there's things we can do like applying an AED, but, you know, so far our best bet has been just trying to put as many ADs wherever that we can. And the issue is that there's a cost uh, to that and there's only so many that can be economically placed. And even if you had one, you know, every, every block, you don't know where it is. Like you said about the fire extinguisher, like that, that's one of the problems with AEDs is even if they're available, people don't know where they are. So, um, you know, 300 and something thousand people die every year of cardiac arrest and they're preventable. Uh, many of them are preventable because it just AEDs work. If you can get an AED on someone within, a, you know, five minutes, they have a 50% chance of living. If you get it within a, within three minutes, they have like a 70% chance of living. So, you know, we designed our system to respond under five minutes in our covered area, which is 35 square miles. And that's huge. Um, yeah, that's pretty crazy. That I mean, it's flying fast. <laughs> it sounds bigger. It, I will admit it sounds bigger than it is. Cause if you, it, it's 3.3 miles in any given direction, but, uh, it's from our, from our center point. Um, which basically, you know, there's a big coverage area and we can cover a lot of people and get there faster than a, than an ambulance. And so we want to save lives. And it seems like the, believe it or not, the most straightforward way to do that. (laughs) And it's kind of crazy to say that using a drone to deliver an AED is the most straightforward way to do it. But, um, it just seems to be that way based on every option we've looked at. So, yeah. yeah. You, you know what else would be cool? This just kind of came to me. If you guys could also do like EpiPens or something, you know, it's, it's kind of a more of a niche thing and doesn't have, happen as often. But uh, let's say somebody gets stung by a bee or something, they go down, they call 911. Oh my God, you know, my friend's fallen up, they got stung by a bee. I don't know what to do. If they don't have yeah. that pen on them and they charge like, what, 500 bucks for them nowadays. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, having one per you know, however many square miles versus everybody that has an allergy has to carry one, which I mean, if you can do it, um, that could be another potential thing. There, there's just so much stuff out there, uh, that we could be doing better with technology as far as healthcare, that it's kind of mind blowing whenever you sit down and really think about it. Well, I think that's on everybody's minds as of late, uh, well, in yeah. <laughs> March 24th, 2020, could we do things better in healthcare? I don't know. Hmm, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, but it, yeah, and, and we're just focusing on this one problem for now. There's a lot of potential things we could be doing with this system. Uh, but I, I think we'll be saving a few. <laughs> we we want to save that first life, you know, like let's get there and then let's talk about what else we can do with it. Um, just stay focused. The other thing that's, uh, that's cool about this idea. I, I don't know if we are all interested in nerding out about healthcare for a second, but, um, <laughs> in AD, uh, it does more than just zap people. So sure, it'll, you put the stickers on somebody and it says shock advised or stand back or whatever, but an AED will teach you how to do CPR just by turning it on. So you just press the big red button. It goes like apply pads to patient, you know, and you look at the pad, it's got a big giant picture on there. It's like peel sticker off and apply here. Um, And then it'll say like perform compressions or something. 
and it'll have like a metronome and click for you. Um, oh, that's so cool. it, it, yeah, it'll, we, we've even used it as first like trained paramedics, like to be kind of cute. All of our life packs have, um, which are like more advanced than an AED, but they have metronomes on there and they have an AED mode where it will tell you how to do CPR. So like if we have a new first responder with us or an old, old, uh, first responder, we just want to mess with, we can kick <laughs> that thing on and it'll kind of run the code for us. So, um, that stuff's really cool, and uh, the, it, it's it's a really neat idea. So, uh, really, really excited to talk about it. Um, I know we can't get too Thanks. in depth with it, but uh, like, what kind of coding language are, are you using? If you can go that far to to program some of this stuff, um, you know, honestly, I <laughs> I need to have a talk with our CTO about what I am allowed or not allowed to say. Probably should have had it before this uh, <laughs> podcast, but. Um, I will say that it's stuff that you can use that many, many, many people out there are using. And like the technology we want to use is not um, in and of itself necessarily groundbreaking, like the underlying elements, the building blocks, but it's like Legos. Like it's not necessarily that this block is better than that block. It's, it's more of like how we're putting them, them together, how we're using them. So uh, I know that's, that's not a great answer for a, a podcast and I want to be more, I want to be as open as I can, but I also don't want to, uh, you know, give a leg up on any competition or, or well, let me rephrase then violate um, my NDAs. You're fired <laughs> now. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 you, exactly. So what kind of, um, what kind of programming languages are popular for IOT or what can you use? Because like oh, for Eddie and see, I, that's a fantastic question. I we use that. JavaScript. So <laughs> like yeah. what we're, we're kind of sitting here going like, well, do we have to learn C sharp or do we have to learn Python or like what can no, we do? No, no. I mean, it's like if someone came to you and said, you know, how do you build a web application? You know, like, oh, well, who do you, who are you at? Who's asking you and who are they asking? Uh, you can build any, you can build a web application with anything. And people are going to argue about what um, is better or what's not. But ultimately, there's pros and cons. Uh, to be more specific, a lot of what I'm, seeing on the IoT space is starting to get into higher level languages because it used to be like C, C++, you know, that type of thing. And you'll see that still for really low level hardware, but as it gets easier and easier to build more and more powerful stuff with more and more processing power, you don't need to have lower level um, languages running because it doesn't need to be that fast. It can interpret a JavaScript, a line of JavaScript, it can take some Python and run it um, just fine. So if you're, if I were getting into the space now, I wouldn't waste my time with C. I, let me back up. If you know C++ <laughs> or C, you're not wasting your time. And if you learn it, you're not wasting your time. There's still a huge, huge market out there for those things. However, if I were getting into it now, especially coming from like boot camps or from college or something like that, um, using JavaScript is a perfectly acceptable and in fact encouraged language for doing IoT. And the other one that's kind of like off the wall maybe is Python. Like Python is is really big in the IoT space. And to be honest, I don't know why, but people love it in that space. You can dunk on Python. Go for it. No, there's nothing. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing wrong with Python except for their package <laughs> management. But uh, <laughs> um, no, there's... There's nothing wrong with Python. I, I'm just saying, like, I don't, 
I'm not as knowledgeable in Python as I am in other languages. And so I don't really understand why it specifically got as popular as it did in the IoT space, but it is pretty popular um, in that in this space. So, you know, those two languages especially. And if you're going to learn JavaScript, you might as well just learn TypeScript because it's better. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. Highly opinionated. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, um, I like TypeScript. I like JavaScript. Um, and I like Python, so... Uh, yeah. Maybe I could do an IoT project. Who knows? And, uh, and what cool, um, what languages well, are, are kind of your forte? Is it kind of JavaScript, TypeScript, and what C sharp? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mostly uh, TypeScript, and I would say JavaScript. But I've been—it's been so long since I've written like vanilla JavaScript without putting a layer of TypeScript on top of it that I'm not probably keen to say I know JavaScript. But um, anyway, TypeScript and C sharp are my like my go-tos um and that's important too like so you said what's the important what's the good languages of iot like iot in a way um has a front end and a back end in the sense that there's a device somewhere out there at the edge doing something reading temperature turning on and off lights opening garage doors self-driving submarines whatever and (laughs) it is uh that is an interesting one yeah you know I, I got to get out of the home space because I think a lot of people equate IoT with home, but like 70% of the IoT market, if you're talking about just economics, is going to be in things like manufacturing or industrial stuff. So, you know, uh, got to drop in an interesting one every once in a while. But anyway, there's a front end uh, in a way with the device that's at the edge, but then there's also that huge, huge, huge and important back end where there's the cloud, uh, assuming that we're talking about 2020, there's a cloud backend and it's running whatever the heck you want, communicating with those devices over whatever protocol, MQTT, HTTP, whatever. So when you're talking about languages, like any server side language is gonna be a potential language that people use in IoT, in addition to all those languages that are gonna run on the device itself. Cool, so like it are the server side um... It, is that portion like WebSockets or something like where it needs to be connected and like constantly feeding data back and forth or is like a regular API fine? Like what, what would be, I guess the normal thing for that? I just get so excited with this because I love, <laughs> Oh my God. The, the questions you're asking are so great because it's, you know, more than you do when it comes to developing for IOT. And I mean, uh, both of you and everybody listening, probably if they're if they've done development, because communication from a device to the cloud um, is very like very much like communication between a browser and a server or a you know mobile application and a server or or the cloud, and you're just sending data back and forth. That's all it is, and so. There's layers on top of that, like we want to send data securely. Okay, there's not someone pressing a, a login button on the front end, so how do we handle that? You know, there's questions around that and answers, but ultimately it's the same idea. We're just sending data different places back and forth, and whether we send that data really fast over a socket or we send that data agonizingly slow, uh, it depends on the use case. It depends on like what we're what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, so um, be- what I'm thinking is like you've got 
like an RC car that you've hooked up to some kind of programming, you know, maybe you've written some AI for it to, and maybe it has a sensor or something that avoids walls or whatever. And then the back end to that is a Lambda function or something. And it cold starts and it just like destroys itself against a wall or something because it's waiting for <laughs> right. that answer from the back end. So, I mean, that's, that's all about that use case, you know, show me the use case and, and, you know, if you just say like, here's the list of technologies, which ones are best? Like, I don't know. What are you trying to do with them? Like, let's talk about what you want to try to do first. And then we can talk about how to do it because there's no best answer out there. And even when you come up with a solution, you'll find a better answer in that process. So it's all just get out there and do it. Just get out there and start, you know, Google (laughs) how to do IOT. Don't listen to me. Just click on the first (laughs) link and follow that. I don't know. Have a growth mindset. I think that's like the, the starting point really is like, screw all the noise about, you know, what me, this person sitting in some stupid ivory tower is going to tell you about how to do IoT. You do it however you want. I don't know. Just don't <laughs> hurt anybody. <laughs> what about uh, what about the front end of some of these projects? So you said server-side languages. That could pretty much be anything at this point. Um, but what about, you know, the, the languages actually running on the device? So, like, would JavaScript still work there? Or would you need to use, like, C Sharp or, like, C? Or would you need to drop down to a lower-level language for that? Um, that also is an arena that you can use any, anything you want. The trick there though, is that unlike on a desktop or a server, like a desktop where you're running it locally, um, or in a server, you typically have like a bajillion layers of abstraction and you know, you got your, your operating system and then you got a virtual environment running on top of that. And then you got, you know, Kubernetes running in that. And actually, no, that's actually, another VM and then two other layers above that you have Minecraft. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> saying you have a lot of abstractions. You can put whatever many layers you want in there. Cause you have like trillions of, you know, bits available to you to slosh around in the CPU bucket. I think that's how it works. I don't know. And, uh, <laughs> so unlike that, like near infinite set of resources you have on your computer and IOT, Typically, and this isn't always the case, but typically you don't have the need for a lot of processing power and you also don't want to have a lot. You don't want a lot of processing power because a lot of processing power costs a lot of energy and a lot of times in IoT, it's something that you're not plugging into the wall. And so you want it to last a long time because we have limited battery capacity. So all these things come together to mean you have a low power device and that low power device typically would need to be tailored to the language or languages that you'll choose to use because you can't just throw a bunch of abstractions on top of it and hope for the best because it'll run too slow. So there's like specific devices that you can buy and the name is of course escaping me right now, but you can buy (laughs) like embedded devices, really low power, small devices uh, that'll run .NET or a subset of .NET and you can write C sharp for it, even though it's kind of like a higher level language because the device and the you know real-time operating system or lower-level operating system running on it is designed to use that language. And you're probably not going to just put, you can't run .NET and JavaScript side-by-side on that easily. I, I never say you can't do something because people be doing crazy stuff out there, but you know <laughs> it's not designed to do that. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is, Whatever language you write in, you can find a device for that. There are more and less common languages. Uh, C and C++, you'll always have a home in embedded devices or really, really low-power devices because that's 
kind of like the the cradle of those types of devices and languages living together. But because it's 2020, there's so many more options available to you. And I would advocate don't struggle with the language. Find a device that supports a language you love already. So, uh, you know, I don't know what language you love, so I can't tell you what to find. But how to um, IoT device, blah, 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 language, yada, yada, <laughs> plus one million results on Google. I would think like <laughs> JavaScript would kind of be out for like uh, a low powered device or something like that, especially mm. if you have to wrap it up in Electron or something in order to talk to the operating system. No, um, you're so wrong. See, <laughs> tell, tell me how wrong I am, please. Uh, uh, so I created an IoT, not an IoT project, but I created an embedded device project for the JavaScript meetup in Orlando. And it's like I just controlled like a little servo motor and it waved a little flag back and forth and probably wrote, I think I wrote like help me on it or something because you got to humanize this type of thing. Uh, but, uh, basically, ah, dang, what's the, what's the little robot in the eighties movie? That's number five alive or whatever. Oh, Johnny, Johnny five. five. Johnny five. Okay. Short so, circuit is the movie. Yeah. Short circuit yes. is the movie. Yeah. Let's nerd out together. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for playing along and you win the prize. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, Johnny five dot IO Johnny dash five like the word johnny j-o-h-n-n-y-f-i-v-e dot io is a javascript robotics and iot platform so there you go you can put that on and they have uh compiled it for all sorts of things including arduino and a bunch of other boards um so yeah sorry lee i hate to break it to you but you can use (laughs) javascript damn it there's so many people like just clearing their desk off in frustration uh, (laughs) because they wanted to crap on javascript yet again yeah yeah and they can't this time i guess so sorry (laughs) javascript is the worst best language we have so far i uh one time i got excited about electron and um uh, as i mentioned like hey does anybody use electron or something in a in a developer chat room and immediately the first response was like, I can spin up entire universes in Java. Why would you use Electron or, or something like that? So <laughs> it, was, it was it was pretty good. Um, well, people you get have pretty to, hot under the collar about JavaScript. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I, I was like that once, I think. But I think now, like, uh, now that I'm so much more mature, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you have to make fun of somebody else's language, that means that they're, you know, you're not that confident in yours. So whatever, like don't let your language define you go find something and build something and have fun cool uh, i imagine python is also like kind of a darling for some of these uh uh devices yeah it can yeah transpile it, down to i don't know like c i think or c plus plus yeah there's i mean there's um, a project out there that takes python and and boils the libraries of python down into c plus plus so that when you access them they're much 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 faster uh PyPy, i think um but anyway i i don't i'm just scratching the surface and taking my uh fingernails into python so i don't have very many answers for you other than i know that it's used a lot cool cool so um i think we've we've kind of talked about iot for a good bit um why don't we move into devops so uh i know whenever we first spoke um that was kind of your your bread and butter and IoT was kind of the side project darling. So um, mm-hmm. what is DevOps and why should we care about it? Uh, what, what does DevOps even mean? Oof. 
<laughs> you'd think after working like in depth with DevOps stuff for two years, I'd have a good answer for you. Um, <laughs> Cause I uh, like IOT, the answer is different for everybody, but um, Microsoft had developed an answer with Donovan Brown and it went something like, it's the collaboration of people, processes, and tools to deliver value to, you know, people, something like that. So basically, it's it's not the code itself. It's it's everything around the code that enables you to build stuff that is worth something quickly and reliably. Um, and I know that's a huge, huge, huge universe, but it's kind of been born out of the idea of um, agile you know, and, and, and then also born out of the idea of like the Toyota method in manufacturing. And it's all these ideas being pushed together. And I thought, oh God, it sounds so nebulous, but it's, it's not like it's, there are good and bad practices in uh, DevOps or at least better and worse maybe practices. And um, the best ones are research driven so if you hear somebody give an opinion about what is better or worse in DevOps, ask them what the evidence is. Because if they don't have evidence, then how do they know? So anyway, but it, it's the focus of the process. I'll just say that. Let me boil it down really, really low. Focusing on the process of writing good software. And that includes listening to your clients or customers, taking that feedback, and making it actionable by being able to to respond to it quickly and write the code that you need to write to solve their problem, and then delivering that code back to them uh, in a way that is efficient and quick and reliable, and then getting their feedback again and starting it all over. Uh, and I, I say code because we're on a software development podcast, but it doesn't necessarily have to be code. If you can solve a problem that doesn't use code, that's equally valid. So I think I'm going to kind of throw out what a lot of people probably think of when they hear the word DevOps. I was going to say, like, like, yeah, that doesn't sound like the thing I heard. (laughs) I think that Jared is kind of dancing around the the really high-level concepts of, like, why this position develops. Um, But, like, in the nuts and bolts of it, this is the person that deploys the project. Yeah, and that's uh, kind of uh, that's what I These guys are killing me. <laughs> this is the person that who thing, deploys the project. That yeah, how that thing uh, deploys and, and things like yeah, that. Oh my yeah. goodness. Kind of See, mixes into site reliability and, and all that stuff. What's uh, Jenkins? Tell me. <laughs> You're the I mean, Travis is, guy, right? Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, why I start at the this is why I start at the high level because once you dig into the details, like everybody's got fiefdoms about what de- DevOps means. Like Somebody's like, oh, it's the, you know, it's the having Kubernetes. Isn't that DevOps? Uh, Isn't that what that means? Uh, No, it's the, you know, the pipeline, the CICD pipeline. No, it's the build server. Everybody knows that you have to have, the other person cuts and they say, no, it's infrastructure as code. If you don't do it, the other person says, no, it's logging bugs appropriately. And the room goes silent. (laughs) And everybody's like, what the heck is DevOps? And... (laughs) So that's why I want to start with the high level of like, it's, it's guys, it's just about trying to deliver value to your customers quickly and easily. Like all those things are parts of it and they all add up to DevOps, but they're all artifacts of DevOps. And 20 years from now, we may not have a need for Kubernetes. We may not have a need for pipelines. We may have figured out something better than infrastructure as code. I don't know. But if it helps you deliver value to your customers better 
or clients or people, then let's do it. So, you know, that's why I don't want to dig too deep uh, at the start of like, here's what a, here's what continuous integration is, because it's really just an outcome <laughs> of the thing that we're trying to do, which is, you know, deliver value. So maybe walking it back a little bit since we've kind of let Pandora's box open. Um, <laughs> way back when, uh, there wasn't really as much of this. Um, I mean, there was, but there wasn't as much, as, at least as far as the web, siloed development. Like you got the front end guys and the back end guys and then the DevOps guys. And maybe, you know, years ago it was, there was the webmaster and that person did all of these things. So they wrote the code, they deployed the code, they managed the code, they made sure the site stayed up, they talked to the client, all of that stuff all rolled into one. So mm-hmm. how, like, where did DevOps come from? Like, what is the problem that it's trying to solve? And yeah. how did it become like its own position? Okay. So, boof. All right. It shouldn't be its own position. I'll throw that out there. Unless it's somebody, <laughs> unless it's somebody who's like advocating for best practices in DevOps, and there's no one else in the organization, organization who is, um, because honestly, everybody should be worried about how we deliver value. But um, anyway, how it all started. Yes, you're right. So DevOps, DevOps, developers, operations. That's the way the term originated, and now it's since it's DevOps is one word, I guess, or is a concatenated word. It's become imbued with much more meaning than that. Um, And that's why I think that it's okay for me to state that it involves a lot of other things. But yes, originally the term DevOps came from the idea that, okay, it's the 90s or the early 2000s. We're a big enterprise. We have the developers in one room. We have the operators in another room. The developers write the code. The operators keep the servers running. And uh, that was fraught with peril because the developers want change. They want to just update everything all the time. They want to make changes, change, 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 change. And then the server people are like, no, God, no, please, no changes. No, it's running. Why would we ever change it? And so, you know, these people are holding spears to each other's throats and, you know, it's not a good environment to get things done in. So people are like, hey, wait a second. Wait, 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 hold on. Remember back when we were tribes and we were like all hanging out together, like solving a problem together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if we just did that again? And so, like, that's kind of like the idea of DevOps is like, let's all work together. You know, it's a small team, and like, we'll have like maybe five to eight people. We'll all work on a project, and together we'll keep it running, and together we'll write the code for it. And yeah, sure, Joe knows how to keep servers up and running, and you know, Sally knows how to, you know, write code. But we're working on it together. Like, Sally maybe over time will learn a little bit more about servers and. You know, Joe will learn a little bit about writing code. So then they all work together and everybody's happy for all of time and never does the organization restructure and they get broken up into other teams and then the whole idea is lost. Of course, that never happens, but, you know, it's a good idea. So it's it's kind of, and this kind of popped into my head whenever we were talking about like Agile, but um, it seems like DevOps kind of is Im- imbued with that um, spirit of iteration that kind of came out of Agile, like, it should be really easy to deploy the code. It should be really easy to make updates. And so to make that happen, like we've developed this like ethos around DevOps where, you know, we need to have some kind of pipeline and we need to have some kind of like really easy method to iterate. So like how much of a, am I hitting the nail on the head or yeah, yeah. yeah. how do you feel about that? I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I think we, in order to do these things, 
we've all, when I say we all, meaning developer community who embraces DevOps, like we've kind of figured out some things so we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Like it's okay to accept that to deliver value, we pretty much need a, you know, pipeline of some sort to get from code to built code to tested code to delivered code. And so we start to use tools to do that. So we aren't all coming up with our own solutions, which takes a long time. And that's when you start to get into like the, um, I don't know, people building cargo cults of like why we need a pipeline in the first place. But the pipeline is important and it is an important part because it helps us deliver value. And there's many different kinds. There's, you know, uh, Circle CI. Uh, I prefer Azure DevOps. There's Jenkins. Um, and those are all tools that we use to build and test and then deliver code so that it's consistent every time. And like that foundational element we've all kind of agreed on at this point in time, like, yeah, this is kind of necessary. If we're going to be writing code to solve people's problems, like this is a really good way to solve our problem of delivering that code in a consistent way to them. And so, you know, that's where that's kind of all born out of. I feel like I kind of went on a little rant there, like usual. A little bit. That's okay. <laughs> Did I answer your original question? Are you hitting the nail on the head? Yes. yes. I think so. Um, before kind of DevOps came about, uh, as I understood it, like <laughs> back when you were talking about the enterprise guys and you had like the software guys and then the system like administrator types, like they would, the, the software developers would write something and then they would kind of like hand it off to the oh. sysadmins and be like, here, like, here's the new project, make it, yeah. make it run. And then they've exactly. got to like manually like kill the current server, run an update and like restart it and hope that it doesn't explode. Right. Yeah. And you're, you're right. So what you're originally talking about, I, I vaguely recall hazily in the past, um, <laughs> you're saying iterative development and, and working together to solve that problem and working quickly and updating quickly and all that good stuff. And you're right. Updating quickly. Um, a lot of people think is, is at odds with updating reliably or, um, or safely because when I was updating quickly, when I first got in software development, that meant uploading code directly to the server and crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. And a pipeline or, you know, a CICD pipeline, whatever tool you use is solving the problem of um, reliably updating stuff because it tests it before it gets to the server. But it also solves the problem of moving slowly, which was caused when we had manual, a lot more manual testing, or if people have a lot more manual testing, it solves that problem. So you can have your cake and eat it too, in the case of like being able to move fast, iterate quickly, and iterate safely and reliably and know that what you're building is going to work by the time it gets to the people who are going to use it. And so that was not possible. Like you're saying back in the day when there were developers and operations were in their silos, they couldn't hand stuff off to each other quickly enough, which is what led to, you know, the idea of these people working a little more closely together and, you know, the ham fisted, uh, linguistic way of handling that is take the words developer and operations and just smash them together. Oh, look, they're working closer together. See? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you kind of mentioned um, this whole fear of uh, iteration and like 
oh my gosh, what happens when we deploy this is going to explode. And I feel like DevOps has been a movement that's trying to kill that like as as much as possible. So whenever you see jokes on Twitter, that's like, oh, it's Friday. We don't deploy on Friday. Mm. Like if if you had a, I don't know if there was such a thing, but in a perfect, uh, perfectly architected pipeline or DevOps world, like you would be deploying like a lot and it would happen very quickly and things would explode, but then they would roll back. Right. So like you could deploy this stuff without having fear of being up, you know, all hours or over the weekend or whatever, like that's the whole point of doing it. Right. So you can write code, deploy it, see if it works. If it does great, if not, that's okay too. Yep. The there's a, so this is what I was talking about earlier about evidence, you know, like, when I hear, you know, oh, we shouldn't deploy on a Friday. It's scary. Uh, here's a joke about it. But also, I'm also, it's also kind of real. And I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's always that hint of like, <laughs> yeah. ha, 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 but really don't deploy it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, there's, yeah. So there's a, a really great um, research backed organization and they got bought by Google recently. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing. We'll see either way. And they've been, over the past four or five years, been putting out a research report every year called the DevOps Report um, for the Accelerate State of DevOps Report. Reading it off the screen, if you wanted to Google that phrase. Um, And they also wrote the book Accelerate, which is a book that I recommended to you probably, Lee, um, a while ago. Yeah, I was so actually Excel- still working as a nurse when you told me about that book. And I was like Googling it at the time. Oh, really? I was still in boot camp. I was like, what the hell is this book he's talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and it's still a good book. <laughs> <laughs> even even this, all this time later. Um, it, so the book and these DevOps reports basically put meat on the bones of DevOps and say, here's what we found in research trying to be as unbiased as we can about what works and what doesn't work for the ultimate goal, which I'll repeat again, is delivering value to your whoever you're trying to deliver value to. And they found that the top organizations, not the top developers, whatever, the organizations that are having higher economic returns and that sort of thing are moving faster and they're delivering to production multiple times per day. And that's an organization, that's maybe not a team, but that's kind of like crazy for some people. Like how can we deliver multiple times per day to production? And the answers are all around increasing the speed of decreasing the, the size of the loop from I have an idea or I heard a bug to let me investigate how I solve this. Okay, I solved it. Let me get this to production, making that a smaller and smaller and tighter and tighter loop. So you can go from idea to production much more quickly. And what they found is that the things that support that are things like automated testing, dear Lord, having source control. If you don't source control, I don't know what, what's going on. But uh, any, anyway, uh, Git, just Google Git. If you don't have source control in 2020, please, G-I-T. Um, anyway. So they found that the the practices of DevOps that you often hear maybe filtered down, maybe argued about in a like fiefdom sense of like, I believe in this tool. Why don't you believe in this tool? Like it's not about the tools necessarily. Tools can help. Tools are helpful, but it's more about your philosophy of like how you approach things and the idea of like 
how can we make this process faster? How can we make the process of going from, you know, an idea to seeing it being realized? How do we make that faster? And if you start with that idea, all of the other things start to build up and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. So go read Accelerate or go read some of these DevOps reports and you'll see all the tools that other people use that are actually effective in increasing that speed and, you know, go on your merry way. Yeah, to put a, a finer point on this, like if you're on a project where you write some code and you guys deploy it, or, or girls, and, you know, the boss says, all right, let's go look and see if it broke. Like, that's going to take time. Everybody basically stops what they're doing. They're doing manual testing. They're like, hmm, well, does this feature still work? Does this feature still work? Does this feature? Like, what you're talking about is going to eliminate that. So, you're going to have tests up front that have all your business logic or your requirements or whatever kind of mapped out to walk through the project and, and test all that stuff and make sure that the work you've already done still works. And those tests are going to run in, you know, seconds or minutes a lot faster mm -hmm. than if you sat down and manually check all this stuff. So that's going to make that cycle a lot smaller. And also whenever one of those tests fails, it's going to say, Hey, this thing broke as opposed to, Oh my gosh, this, I can't, the site doesn't something, come up when I go to the website. You yeah. Know? And then broke. you kind of have to become a detective. So that's yeah, why well, everybody is like so fanatical about yeah. some of this, some of these features and yeah. testing and stuff. I do kind of want to like grab people by the shoulder and shake them and say like, you have to use these things. Why, <laughs> why are you not testing <laughs> automated please? Um, but like if you, if you aren't doing like autom automated testing or if you don't, or maybe you are, and maybe other people on your team aren't interested in, in learning how to do that effectively. Uh, one of the things you can do is kind of like a thought process is ask yourself or ask your team members, your boss, whatever, whoever's not on board with this idea, what do you need to do when you make this change to feel comfortable about pushing it into production? And be prepared for the laundry list of things, right? Like, well, first we need to blah, 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 then we got to yada, yada, and then I open up the page, and I hit this button, blah, blah, blah. Just ask, how long would it take to automate it? And if you can give an answer of two weeks, and then you can ask them how long they do that and how often they do it, you can kind of compare those two things and say, well, it's going to take me two weeks to solve, but it sounds like you work on this for two hours every day. So I don't, I don't know what the math looks like. I came up with this on the fly, but you get the idea. After six months, this will pay for itself. And after that, we don't have to pay it back. If you can... If you can give me another example of a foreshore investment that's going to pay off in six months and then forever pay you, then I, I would totally invest in that. So, you know, if you can find ways of convincing yourself or others about like taking the time to step aside from writing that next feature and spending that time instead on making your process easier to live with, especially with testing then uh, your life will be easier in the long run, for sure. Yeah, 100%. Um, so real quick, um, let's we've kind of talked really, really high level about uh, DevOps, but like, how did you specifically get into DevOps and like, what kind of skill set would you need if, if this stuff like sounds interesting and you're a listener out there? Hmm. Um, so I got a job. <laughs> I got a job as a straight developer at a company that was is is really great. Uh, they changed the name. It's Nebia Technology, um, and they changed the name because they got acquired, and so they must have been doing something right. Um, they got acquired by New Signature, 
And when I got hired, I had no DevOps experiment uh, experience. But Esteban Garcia, the guy who uh, ran Nebia and is now a part of New Signature, he really believed in DevOps, and that's kind of the reason why I started the company, and hammered home these lessons again and again and again. And I immersed myself in it because I have felt the pain that he was describing. And once I started to get a taste of like, hey, these tools and processes and ideas are actually effective and save me a lot of headache and a lot of time and energy working on boring things I don't want to really work on. I don't really want to, you know, look at the web page and click a button every time I deploy to production. I don't want to be fearful that every time I go to production, it's going to be a white page that nobody can click on anything. This is stressful. This is annoying. I don't like these problems. I like solving other problems. I like solving logical problems. Um, so uh, once I realized that, I really, really, really got into it. And for other people who don't just have the fortune of accidentally walking into a business that's very DevOps focused, I would say that whatever skill sets you have now are the right skill sets to get started thinking about these things. Uh, even if you're just getting started in software development, you know, if you've written an if-else statement, you can figure out how to take that if-else statement and put it somewhere. I'm sorry, and if you can figure out how to take an FL statement and put it somewhere, like in a Lambda function or whatever, you can figure out how to automate that process. And while that is kind of like uh, the nuts and bolts and it doesn't go higher level to my idealistic ideas about delivering value, it is kind of like the practical beginnings of of the things that will make you effective in the real world if you're not there already writing code for businesses that pay money. Because businesses don't pay money for code, they pay money for value. And so if you can figure out a way to create more value more quickly, you'll be worth more in the marketplace. So it kind of sounds like it's really about automating the process, I guess. So like anything that you're kind of manually doing, like if you can automate that, write a little script or something that can take care of that, like that's yeah. kind of moving in that direction, right? I mean, that's that's one aspect of it. It really does matter what you do. So if you aren't listening to your customer, if you haven't talked to a person that uses the thing you're building, then I don't know that automating, it's not going to help. Like talk to the person who's using the thing you're building, find out how they're using it, find out what they want, you know, audit that against what you, or compare that against what your vision is for the product. You don't want to just like go every way, which way a user wants you to take you. But like there's other elements other to DevOps than just making the process faster. It's about, delivering value. And if, if the value is not there, even if you're de delivering 100,000 lines of code a day, if it doesn't do something people want or need, then that's worthless. So, you know, there's other elements of it too, but from a practical, pragmatic, like first step perspective, you know, take a look at what your process is if you're delivering any code to anybody at any time, which I'm sure a lot of people are at that stage. Like it doesn't take very long in software development to go from, I'm learning how to do this to like, I built a tiny app for my friends, you know? So if you're at the stage of, I build a tiny app for my friends or, or beyond that, audit yourself, look at the time it takes for you to do certain things, check mark every time a, you tried to do something and it failed, and, and think about and Google tools to help solve that problem. Um, and that would be unit tests, that would be a build pipeline, 
that would be um, a bug tracker or a work tracker of some kind. Um, so I use Azure DevOps, big proponent of Azure DevOps. It's free if you're in an organization of five or less. So if you want a very, very uh, biased <laughs> you know, <laughs> suggestion of a first place to maybe look, that would be you know, a place I would suggest. Just Google Azure DevOps. What the heck is it? How do I use it? You know, how do I get started? What is it capable of? You know. Cool. So it kind of sounds like um, maybe a lot of the tools that we would associate with DevOps, like Docker and AWS or Azure, um, Code Pipeline, Travis, CircleCI, on and on and on. Um, these have become so associated with the term less because that's what DevOps is really about and more because we're all solving kind of the same business needs over and over again. So like we've got a client that needs a website that needs to be updated frequently. Well, hey, then you're probably going to want to use some kind of cloud provider. You're probably going to want some kind of pipeline to be able to deploy frequently. You're probably going to want testing so you don't break stuff when you deploy it on and on and on. And because yeah. we've solved this problem like over and over and over again, now we're all associating DevOps with these tools, right? Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's what I was saying with, like, cargo call. Like, the idea of, like, um, you know, we don't know why we're using these tools. Like, we kind of know why. Like, we know testing helps and stuff. But that's why I think it's important to remember why we're using these tools and that these tools are just that. They're tools. We're using, we're using the tools. The tools aren't the be-all and end-all. And so, um, but you're correct. Like, we are all solving similar problems in software development. And so why would I need to build the very basics of a, of a testing platform if a testing platform already exists? Um, and so that's why we get to have higher level conversations about how to use existing things to solve the problems we all have. Um, but if we don't remember why we're using those things, we can get in. I've seen situations with companies like as, as someone who had... Um, went into companies and basically told them how to do things uh, in a nice way. Um, <laughs> they, you know, people use these tools in all sorts of ways, and I'm not going to advocate in every single way that they use them. You know, like the, the tools are great, but know why you're using them, because if you don't know why, then you'll get, it's easy to get stuck into the idea of like, everybody must use PowerShell at this company or else you'll die. And it's like, no, no, that's not... <laughs> PowerShell's a tool. Like, let a team use whatever it wants to use. Like, give go. How do we move faster? If if they if a team wants to use Bash to move faster, let them do it. Just go, let them run with it. And okay, so maybe you have 15 different command line, you know, languages that you're using, and you don't want to use 15 different. Fine, pare it down because people can't move between teams or something. But know why you're doing it. Like, don't just make a mandate that we have to use this tool, or we, you know, like, it's. It's a crazy world out there. I've seen a lot of horrible things, so I may I'm be kind of also um, burned. <laughs> I'm picking up uh, the, the longer we talk about this. Not that DevOps is like some magical script hero that it works with your company and does all the hard stuff, but more like DevOps is kind of something that we all own. Yes. Maybe oh, the true, yes. maybe the true <laughs> DevOps engineer was within us the whole time. Thank you. Yes, this is what I'm saying. You had the power. Uh, from I the could start go to bed happy tonight. I'm gonna look up at my ceiling. And just... <laughs> yes. No. De de okay. So DevOps as a role is 
people think like, oh, well, who do we put in the column between the developers and the operators? Oh, let's just put a DevOps guy. He'll he'll hand the code from the you know developers over to the operators, and you're just adding another link in the system. And so no, it, we all you know, it, ideally in an organization, every single person has an eye on the ball of delivering value to people and asking themselves how they do it better. And so, you know, that's what it's all about. So I don't care what tools you use. I don't care what organizational structure you have. I don't care anything about any of that crap. Just ask yourselves that, work together on it. And there's a lot of accepted practices out there that are proven to work. And if you don't know anything about what you're doing, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Go find those practices. They're written in a book. It's called Accelerate. (laughs) (laughs) I did find it on, uh, there's an audio book version if anyone's interested. Yeah, and he's been cool. listening to it this whole time. No, no, yeah. I'm. I, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I did a search on Amazon, so I'm like, uh, the audiobook is actually cheaper than the written book. Sweet. Yeah. And we'll, I we'll have know to get it. everybody has a lot of free time right now, so yeah, no excuses. Yeah, Which yeah. is why <laughs> I looked it up right now because <laughs> like I have yeah, time to listen to this. Yeah, exactly. Cool. So. I don't know if Eddie, you have any other questions, but I think I'm I'm ready to to move on to Nerd Minute. If you guys are, yeah, we can. That's that's cool. Yeah. I don't know if I you had. Ha- some- I'm sorry, I don't have any more questions. Eddie, you can have you can ask me questions. I, I don't have any more. I know you weren't <laughs> asking me. But. I mean, the only thing I would ask is um, right now because I when I hear DevOps, I think of AWS and things like that. Is that's something someone should look into if they're interested in DevOps, things like that. This is where you scream Azure at him, right? Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes. I think Azure <laughs> is, and I'm not as biased as I used to be about this, and I'll tell you why in a second. Azure is the best cloud. Anybody who's using another cloud can just, you know, reevaluate their life choices. <laughs> you might as well just be writing down zeros and ones on a piece of paper. I don't care. Azure is the best. <laughs> If you're not using Azure, then you hate Bill Gates. You hate, you know, the idea of vaccines. I think. No, I I don't care what cloud you use. But AWS, uh, Azure, and Google are the three big ones. And okay. if you haven't haven't started using a, a cloud provider, I would suggest <clears throat> Azure. No, okay. I real talk. I use Google now. Believe it or not, for a lot of what I'm doing and. I think it's fine, but I miss Azure a lot. So, yeah, that's how I feel. Cool. All right. <laughs> cool. So uh, <laughs> let's move on to Nerd Minute. Um, Jared, at the end of every show, you, you listen to the show before, but uh, we talk about nerd stuff. So books, movies, games, comic books, whatever you're into. Uh, Legos. Uh, I don't know. We've, we've mentioned Legos like 800 times in the show, but uh, <laughs> uh, Jared, you're the guest. Do you, do you have anything that you'd like to share? Well, I'm going to share two things, if that's okay. I, yeah, sure. Really quickly. One is my wife is a teacher and she's rewatching the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, oh, from okay. start to finish. So I've been in. Your wife's awesome. Yeah. Go she on. is awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, I married her, so she's pretty cool. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, she married me, really. Uh, You're the uncool one. We got it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> um, and I've been watching them with her occasionally. And they had, on man, Disney Plus? Just, um, yeah, yeah, okay. and the the writers are just oh, I you know remember I went to school for radio television production. I originally went to school for film, you know, like and then I switched to radio television production. The writers of those movies have such 
a patience for payoff. And I just, I love it. It's not the best movies by far, but you know, they're, they're fun. But the real thing that I'm a super nerd about winter soldier. I'm just going to say that's, that's a good one. Yeah. That's the best one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, OG first Iron Man. But anyway, uh, well, okay. All right. That's the close as a close second. <laughs> so the real thing that I'm a super nerd about, and I don't, I mean, I think I know why I care. I care about our planet. Right. And I, I want us all to live in a, in a nice environment for all of time. And I think, you know, electric cars and solar and batteries are a big part of that. And so like I obsessively Google EV news or I obsessively Google battery news. And I'm like, what do we got going? What do we got going? What's coming? What's coming down the pipe? And so I'm like a huge nerd on like solid state batteries. And I'm like, guys, as soon as we get battery density to a certain point, it's going to get nuts. Or I'm a super nerd about like, if we get under a hundred dollars a kilowatt guys, everybody's going to be buying electric cars like all day, every day. I'm going to buy five, you know? (laughs) So I, I don't have anybody to share this with necessarily. There's no groups for people like me, but whatever. That's what I'm being a nerd about. And if you want to really geek out about like electrolytes, anodes and that sort of thing, like Google battery news, battery news is where it's at. Got to get in there. Got to get your facts and figures, battery, Wikipedia. I don't, I don't know. I think we should all be, huh? I'll throw out that there is, um, a a lot of people get excited about like, you know, the, the Tesla or whatever and about, uh, hybrid cars and that sort of thing. And, um, kind of the, the damper on that for a long time has been like, yes, we can make a battery that will run a car, but it's like hugely inefficient. Right. Mm -hmm. So kind of what you're talking about where, you know, you've got to charge it so often or the battery dies after so long and it just becomes like incredibly costly to replace that battery or, you know, charging the car is maybe, um, they're having to burn coal at a power plant in order to charge your car. And that's like less efficient than just putting gasoline in the engine. So, um, yeah, are we approaching a, a point where, like, the batteries are, are getting better and better and better? I know that they've improved over the years, but, like, where are we at currently with that? <laughs> okay, so in April, as long as all things go according to plan, Elon Musk is having a battery tech day. So he's going to explain all the cool battery crap that's, you know, dark projects that he hasn't shared for the past couple of years. And uh, Tesla bought Maxwell recently, uh, and they've been working on a solid-state battery and all this to say, basically, like Tesla, the number one uh, electric car manufacturer in the world, um, is fast approaching a point that we thought wasn't going to happen five years ago until 2025. So this year, next year, I have a feeling we'll get beneath the $100 per kilowatt hour mark, which is like the magic number, which means that electric cars and gas cars have parity for price. And I know you brought up a lot of things you brought up coal power plants and you brought up like replacement. So if we get under the hundred dollar kilowatt hour price for batteries and we have price parity with gasoline cars, the running costs of gasoline cars are so much higher than electric cars that after you buy it, it's basically cheap to free to run. And that's an economic reason. And the um uh, environmental costs like energy creation wise or CO2 wise starts to even out around the 70,000 mile mark. So if you drive more than 70,000 miles in your car, you basically start being way, way, way more efficient than a gasoline car. 
Is and that uh, like over the life of the car or yeah. per year or over the life of the car or life? Of the car. Okay. So what, okay. if, if you own a car that's gone over 70,000 miles, you could have had an electric car and it wouldn't be, you'd be saving the environment now instead of ruining it. I have a 1988 Ford Bronco, so I am. Like all of us are now guilty, so thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the guiltiest. I'm, the I'm like riding around in my 98 Civic until yeah. it Mad Maxes out. But but I think, so five years ago, we thought we wouldn't get to this price point for batteries until 2025, and now it's happening in 2020 slash 2021, and it's only going to happen faster because just the incredible ramp up of investment. And when electric cars become price uh, comparative to gasoline cars, price parity, there's there's a, an economic effect that happens, kind of like what, what happened with um, landline phones or anything else. Like It's just like, why would you buy a landline phone when you can go buy a cell phone? Like It doesn't make any sense. And just yeah. it quickly, quickly shifts the shifts it. And then, you know, I can't help you with the PowerPoint or the, the power plants being powered by coal, but, you know, solar is a, a big part of that too. Or Increasingly, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, nuclear energy. Let's get it done because, you know, that's something that we have ignored for the wrong reasons, I think. But So anyway. would that be true for every electric car or just the Tesla? So that <clears throat> price point would be true only for the Tesla for 2020 slash 2021. Okay. But uh, other car companies want to be competitive. And there are other battery manufacturers out there. And so, you know... No one is going to let Tesla have all the pie forever. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, GM announced 11 models that they're going to make electrified by 2025 or something like that. They just revealed their skateboard chassis with a battery that uh, LG Chem and them are creating together or something like that. They're, they advertised their new Hummer during the commercial at the Super Bowl, which makes a thousand horsepower and goes zero to 60 in three seconds which I think is pretty cool, I guess, if you like big SUVs that go 0 to 60 <laughs> as fast as like a Nissan GTR or something. But I don't know. I guess it's cool. Whatever. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Maybe the uh, maybe I can hold out with the Civic for another year or two yeah, and then, uh, get a jump Tesla. straight to the future, basically, and yes. yeah, buy a Tesla. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's, Eddie, it's what about you for, uh, for Nerd Minute? Uh, so I, I finished Hunter's. Or Hunter, yeah, I think it's Hunters. That's the uh, uh, the thing is it on De Niro or Pacino? Pacino on Pacino Prime. Nazi hunting thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last episode is really good. It it pays off. Um, there's a little bit of a surprise at the end of the last episode, and it's pretty awesome. I really really liked it. Um, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, I don't want to give it away because it's a big spoiler, but uh, it's worth watching. I've seen the previews, but I haven't watched it. What about you, Jared? No, I haven't seen it. But it sounds really, really fun, and I would watch it the whole time expecting, like, is this it? Is this is this no. what's happening? Oh, no. no this is- oh, well, yeah. <laughs> it's a good show, like, all around. Um, it, It's cool. I like the little <coughs> bit of like, comic book ties they, they kind of throw in there. Just because the kid works in a comic book store, and he reads a lot of comic books, and he kind of, like... Uh, just talks about it as as the the show goes on um it's really cool uh i highly recommend it i don't want to say too much because i'd give things away uh about the was this originally a comic book i don't think so i i didn't honestly i did i usually look that stuff up i didn't for this 
Um, I think the kid just works at a comic book store and he just, every situation, not every situation, but he, he talks about it a lot. So do his friends. Um, they, they talk about like Batman and Iron Man and like X-Men and stuff like that. Um, sweet. It's cool though. I, I really like it. And the show's about, um, people in what the seventies or eighties. Yeah. It's 1977 and they're hunting. It's yeah. They're hunting Nazis that are like hidden in the U S. Um, and they have the Nazis have this like crazy plot to like, uh, kill a bunch of people. Um, by fiction, I don't want to, I don't want to give away how they're doing it, (laughs) but yeah. What's that? Uh, entirely fiction i assume or is it kind of oh like yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so because there's like a blackout and i remember there being a blackout um in the 70s in new york because this is what takes place in new york um and they kind of tie it into that a little bit and mm. like the nazis cause the blackout to hide like some other plan that they're like kind of putting together um so yeah that's it's, it's pretty cool uh, that and I think did I talk about Castlevania? Because you, I know you said you watched that. Um, oh man, that was gonna be my pick. Sorry, I was just gonna say it was good. Uh, I, I liked it too. <laughs> uh, that's about it. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So if, if you don't know what we're talking about, Castlevania has a new um, season out on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, season three. Uh, I just finished it. I, I thought it was good too. Uh, I guess I'll have to watch Hunters. Um, yeah, the only thing I have to question is like if World War II ended in, you know, like now I'm going to sound stupid, but like 48 or in in the late 40s, early 50s, um, how old would these Nazis be? They'd be like all old men, right? Yeah, they're all or super they, old. Are they recruiting like they're they're new all well people, okay? Or? So they're all super old. Um, they're like 70s. It's a slow moving show. This yeah. is a weird show. <laughs> they're all 70s. Like Al Pacino's old. Like he not mm. the Al Pacino plays a uh, um someone that was like in the camps and then like came to the U.S. and he's like goes and he makes like a fortune and like with his money wants to go back and like hunt the Nazis that are hidden in the U.S. that the U.S. like brought into like you know. There, some of them are scientists and um, mm. some of them are just kind of like brought in to do something and then kind of went AWOL or whatever and then like just are hiding in society somewhere and, and they're just kind of looking for them. Um, but yeah, they're all pretty much pretty old. Um, but the group that's hunting them is not old. <laughs> like the the kid is his grandmother was killed by one of them and which is that's how he gets into the group and then goes and hunts them. Uh with the rest it, of the This group. is this is super weird if they're hunting like old Nazis. Uh Yeah, I mean this- there's also a younger guy that they've recruited, oh. like he's they call him the American. Um mm. but he's like, you know, he he wants to be one of them and he's like their assassin basically he goes and kills like every a bunch of people trying to find like stop the there's an investigation by the fbi that's also looking for them and he's hunting those people down while also killing like the people in the group that are trying to hunt them down to, just, to stop just this imagine. crazy plot that, that that they've got going on go ahead i I just imagine like these 
these uh, younger guys running around, like taking tennis balls off of older people's walkers. <laughs> and they're like, Nazi, Nazi. And then the person's like, you know, actually, it's, all us old people look alike. I'm not the Nazi. You want the guy like three, three B, you know, he's two doors down. I don't know. Can I have my tennis balls back, please, sir? It's, um, yeah, there are a lot of old people, but (laughs) uh, the, the, okay. So the Colonel is, um, they call her the Colonel, I think. Um, she's the, the head, at least the person you see that's in the head. There's someone else that they imply that's in the background, like kind of putting this all together. Um, but she's a little bit younger than these older people. And she's like, kind of putting up this she's the one they're really going after because she's got this big plan to kill a bunch of people um and she's the one that plans to put this blackout in effect to hide like this transport of these chemicals and whatnot um but then they're also going after the nazis that like tortured them in the camps so that's another thing so they're they're and a lot of them happen to live in new york for some reason but um Mm. Yeah, so they're going after them, and then like you know, it's there. There's that plus stopping this huge plot, plus this all all this other stuff that's going on like in the background of the story with the kid, and if he wants to like stay in the group or like if killing is too much for him, like he doesn't know if he really wants to do it or not, and you know, it's it. There's there's a bunch of stuff happening, but it's a really good show. I I'd recommend it. Cool. So, uh, since you stole my, uh, my recommendation, I didn't steal it. I just one. wanted to say that oh. I saw it too. Cause you, you told me you saw it yesterday <laughs> and, and I was like, I saw it. I finished it. So it, and I liked it as well. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, I'll throw out uncut gems with Adam Sandler. Oh, is that good? Um, I was going to watch that. It was good. Um, it's a little unnerving because basically the entire movie is Adam Sandler, like cussing, yelling and talking really fast. Um, but it's done intentionally. Does he so, make any jokes? Uh, does he make any jokes? Yeah. Um, he plays like a like a sleazeball Jewish uh, jewelry um, dealer okay. who has like his own shop in New York. And the whole movie is about um, basically he starts off in debt because he's got like this really bad gambling problem. And the whole movie is about him like getting money and then like rebetting the money and basically avoiding paying off the debt. Like it's always the next big score kind of movie. And so he goes from like sketchy situation slash bet to sketchy situation, um, throughout the whole thing. And, um, it's, uh, it's pretty good. Um, a little bit long, uh, about two hours and 15 minutes, but, um, that's not bad. Yeah. I mean, it's no like star Wars Irishman. but uh like definitely not a movie to watch with your kids because he like i said he just cusses the entire time um there's also like some some nudity and, and stuff in it uh okay. not really wholesome i would say but uh pretty interesting and the ending to it is uh will leave you kind of contemplating the meaning of the movie like kind of who was the uncut gem or what does that really mean Okay. So uh, there is a physical uncut gem <laughs> in the movie, which is kind of at the center of the plot. Uh, mm-hmm. That's kind of like his big payoff that he's, he's like worked so hard to get this thing out of Ethiopia or whatever. 
and it arrives in his shop and he's, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to take this to auction and make all this money off of it or whatever. And then he's got other people that are interested in buying it and whatnot. But um, it's kind of a shell game where he's passing around all this money and the ending is kind of like, where does it end up? Or where does, does he ever pay off the debt or does he keep betting or uh, what happens with that? So it was, it was pretty good. I'll just throw that out there. I don't want to spoil it and kind of tell you the ending, but yeah, <laughs> that's cool. I, I was thinking about watching that, so I might watch it. Yeah. Check it out and let me know what you think. Cool. Cool. So uh, I think we can, we can wrap it up there. Um, Jared, thank you so, so much for coming yeah, on the show. It was a blast you. having you. Yeah. Well, thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. I had a great time. You guys are excellent hosts and maybe someday I'll come back for something. You never know. Or maybe I'll invite you onto my non-existent podcast. hundred percent. We'll <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, uh, thanks. For, thanks again for coming on. All right. Yeah. Thank you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to tech junior. Head on over to our site at techjr.dev for show notes and past episodes. That's techjunior.dev. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter to get an email from us once a week with the latest episode and some other good stuff. Uh, if you'd like to support us, you can do so on our Patreon page. Check that out at techjunior.dev under the support tab. I've also got a swag store with like a t-shirt <laughs> and a sticker design on there. We'll, we'll get around to design them some more stuff eventually. Uh, but yeah, if you want to support us, you can do those things or share the show with your friends, tweet about it on Twitter, leave a review on iTunes, do all the stuff. We appreciate you. Next week, we are going to be talking to Steven Santiago, who is a developer for Purple, blah, Purple Rock Scissors here in Orlando, which is a uh, pretty bad, you know what, uh, design agency. And they do a lot of cool stuff. And yeah, he, he's got some good advice. Particularly, we talk about uh, what to do if you're in a job that's not so great. So Steven um, had some positions before he got to Purple Rock. Uh, that weren't so hot and he kind of shares his advice for how to improve that situation or even get out of that situation so we think you're gonna enjoy it all right that's all i got for this week uh thanks for listening and we'll see you next wednesday bye